Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by Dr. Eddie Sauer, who practices general dentistry at Shimon Dental Group. Eddie has been my dentist since I was in college. He's taken care of my kids' teeth ever since my kids got teeth. Dr. Sauer is a national speaker on Invisalign and uses that technology to improve his patients' smiles and positioning. And members of my family used it and were very happy with it. So you can learn more by following Shimon Dental on Facebook or visit shimondental.com. That's S-H-E-M-E-N. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Amarillo National Bank online at anb.com, to Amarillo College, which was just named the best community college in the nation by the Aspen Institute, and to the video production company 41 Productions online at 41productions.com. The May-June issue of Brick and Elm, by the way, is in stores now. It's one of my favorites so far. I really do love this one, so look for it. Grab one if you're out. Today's guest is Megan Laughlin, an audiologist at Amarillo Hearing Clinic. Megan grew up in the Texas Panhandle town of Sunray before heading off to Texas Tech, and then she got her Doctor of Audiology degree from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. And she's been working in Amarillo for the past seven or so years. Uh, But in 2020, she had the opportunity to take over leadership of her clinic, which until then was known as Ormson Hearing. And so we talk about her career path, why her work is important. I mean, it's it's important to treat hearing loss. and, And that was part of the conversation that definitely got my attention. And also the challenges of taking over and rebranding a well-known clinic like hers. We also discussed the Amarillo Hearing Foundation, which is associated with her clinic. So here's Dr. Megan Laughlin. Megan Laughlin, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks Thank for being you. here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's an honor to have you. We were just talking off uh, mic before we started that I've not interviewed any audiologists. Uh, yes. That's sort of a a hole in the uh, the career spectrum that we haven't covered yet. So <laughs> yes. I'm uh, I'm excited to talk to you. And I want to start with you the same way I start with all my guests, and that's just to ask you how you ended up here in Amarillo. In Amarillo, well, I actually um, I grew up just north of Amarillo in Sunray, Texas. Okay. So my family actually has a really strong history in the Panhandle. Our family farm has uh, been around for over a hundred years. Wow. So yes, so we have really strong roots to the Panhandle. Originally, my husband and I, after college, our plan was not to come back to Amarillo. Um, He's from Dallas, and so the thought of coming to a small town, to him, Amarillo was a right. small town. Not Sunray small, Not but Sunray smaller small, than but Dallas. Yeah, Amarillo was a big city for me growing yeah. up, but we just, the we needed to be closer to family. Mm-hmm. Once we started having kids, we kind of had the opportunity to go anywhere in the nation with where I did my internship, and we just thought there really wouldn't be a better place than to raise our kids here with our family and, and the people of Amarillo and just kind of come back to what... I grew up knowing. Yeah, tell me about. Do Do you know anything about your family? Oh, yeah. um, how they? You know, if if you've got a hundred year old multi generational farm. Yes. Like, what brought them to this area? Yes. Do you know that story? So my grandparents have been here their entire lives. Um, my granddad actually sleeps in the bedroom that he was born in. Okay. That's how he introduces wow. himself. <laughs> 
<laughs> Kent Cartwright. My name is Kent Cartwright. I sleep in the bedroom I was born in. I'd, I'd lead with that too, because yes. that's pretty impressive. Yes, it's very impressive. He'll be 92 this year. Okay. Um, and farming and ranching has just kind of, it's always been in our blood. It's always been what we do. Um, and his parents found themselves here after traveling from, I believe, North Carolina. I could be wrong on that. Okay. One, of the, one of the Carolinas. Um, and they came to Texas and settled um, up in the Sunray Spearman area. What kind of farming has uh, your family done? A little bit of everything. Um, corn is our, our big one, but my dad actually has five brothers, four of which are farmers, um, and they can, they do it all. Tell me about growing up in Sunray. What was that like? It was amazing. I didn't realize how great growing up in Sunray was until I actually left it. Hmm. I think that any small town kid, especially small like Sunray Small, has that desire to get out and get away and not be under the eyes of every single community member. But when you leave a place like that, you realize how special that is. You have, you know, 15 to 20 second moms and second yeah. dads and everybody's grandparent. Everybody knows is your you, grandparent. Right? Yes, everybody supports you. So I, you know, we live in Bushland now and it's even a little bit too big for me. Okay. Um, I really do crave that just small, you know, no stop lights, one stop sign kind of environment. It's just, it's special. Did you know once you were getting ready to graduate from high school, did you know what you wanted to do? Did you have a plan? I had a general idea. Um, I knew that I wanted to get out of Sunray and um, get as far away as I could. I don't know why I had that desire now as an adult looking back on that, but I wanted to do something that involved education didn't necessarily want to be a teacher. So I thought originally that I was going to go and get a history degree. What I was going to do with that, I had no clue. Once I got into it, I kind of realized that there's not a lot of options other than teaching. Teach, yeah. Um, and I had a friend that had just gone through this speech pathology program. And so I thought, oh, well, that's kind of cool. I could I could do speech pathology and you sh you're still working with people and setting goals. And I, I love goals and, and um so I went into the speech program originally thinking that I was going to be a speech pathologist. And the program, where was that? At Texas Tech. Texas Tech, yes, okay. I went to school at Texas Tech. That's not as far from Sunray it's not. as you can get. It's I, not. I don't know if you know originally, that. Originally, I went to, I got a scholarship to run track at Stephen F. Austin. Okay. And that was as far as my parents were willing to let me go. Um, they weren't willing to let me go any further than that. And then once I got there, I realized really quick that, I miss home. Okay. I got really homesick. So I transferred from Stephen F. Austin to Tech and went to school in Lubbock. Um, but that's where I went, found audiology was through the speech pathology program. We have the same undergraduate degree. Mm -hmm. And during our clinicals for our undergraduate degree, I realized really quickly that although I loved working with kids I much prefer adults. Okay. Um, I'm just, I'm, God created me to work with adults. And I do still see kids every mm -hmm. day. I, I, I keep kids on my schedule and I enjoy working with them. But I think there's, speech pathologists are so special because there's not an immediate gratification. It's a slow, or an immediate slow success. process. It's such a yeah. slow process. And I felt during, when I started getting into clinicals, I just didn't feel the success that I wanted to feel. And because we have the same undergraduate degree, I took a couple of classes in audiology and just absolutely fell in love with, with the field. What does, what does the education pathway look like 
for what you do as an audiologist? I mean, a, a lot of people are familiar with, let's say, a, a medical doctor mm-hmm. and what they'll do. But like, yeah. what does it look like for your career? Yeah, so we are we are what's called clinical doctors, okay. so not medical doctors, um, not PhDs. We're clinical, so we have a four-year undergraduate degree, and then we have a four-year graduate degree. Okay. So it's a total of eight years of of school, um, and then a year of that is spent doing an externship or a, or a residency, okay. depending on where you're at. And where did you get that graduate degree then? At Texas also Tech. Also at Texas yep. Tech? I spent all all eight years at Texas Tech. And you, you mentioned um, the the residency you did or, or mm-hmm. that process and, yep. and how it sort of qualified you to go everywhere, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what was unique about that? So I was actually just a shot in the dark. I never in my wildest dreams thought I would get, get picked for this particular residency, um, but at a VA hospital in Johnson City, Tennessee called Mountain Home okay. VA Medical Center. And it is one of the top VA I, medical I've heard of it. Heard yeah, of it. So. Yes, it's very, very well known. It's an amazing facility, incredibly competitive program. They only take two interns every year. Um, and I just applied just because I felt like, yeah, why not? And I actually got picked. And so they gave me my offer and I think it was probably April, and um, we were moving to Johnson City, Tennessee in June Okay, with a newborn. And wow. so it was a whirlwind, but it was amazing. Um, I had an incredible experience. I was able to train with some of the leaders in the research field as far as um, traumatic brain injury and vestibular balance issues. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know the audiologists focus right. on balance as well. Because all that is centered in the ear, It's right? all together, yes. Yeah, hearing imbalance. Um, I trained extensively with one of the main researchers, the leaders in the field for tinnitus um, treatment and therapy. And so I just had an amazing experience. But one of the reasons why I had the opportunity to pretty much go anywhere I wanted was because my uh, supervisor, the director of our program, was the lead director for all of the audiology programs in the nation. And she she said, I will I'll put you anywhere you want to go. And um we said, well, we want to go back home. Hmm. So, yeah, we left the Appalachian and came back to <laughs> Amarillo. That's a change in landscape oh, for man, sure. The day we got off the plane, I think it was blowing like 50 miles an hour. And we were like, okay, <laughs> we forgot about that part. Yeah. But, yeah, we've loved every moment of it. What? Where did you land then here in Amarillo at that point? So I originally took a position at an ear, nose, and throat practice, um, which I loved. Lots of diagnostics. Got to see the kind of more medical side of audiology. Mm-hmm. The hours were really difficult, though. I had um, a toddler and a newborn when I was when I was there, and 10, 11-hour days. And so I actually, um, after working there for four and a half years, I decided I, I was going to spend a little bit of time at home and raise my kids. Mm-hmm. And um, where I'm at now, which used to be Ormson Hearing Clinic, um, Carrie actually, Dr. Ormson, who owned Ormson Hearing Clinic, when he heard that I had left the ear, nose, and throat practice, he actually came and found me okay. in person and said, will you, will you come and work? We'll let you work part-time. You can spend your time with your kids and we just, we need a little bit of help. And so that's how I found myself at Ormson Hearing. Did he, was he aware of your background? Like maybe that residency, was that something because it is 
a significant place to have done mm-hmm. that. Like, did that sort of follow you back here? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, in Amarillo, the field of audiology is really small. It is. It's very small. So um, I don't, if I said there were 10 of us, I I could be overshooting that, <laughs> that number. So it's our, it's really easy. We keep in close contact. And so it's not easy to get an audiologist to come to Amarillo. Yeah. The field is just not great here. And they were in, in pretty big need of, of some help. So he didn't waste his time. The second he heard I was free, he he called me up. So tell me, give me an idea of the timeline. When did you come back? What year did you come back to Amarillo? So I came back in 2013. Okay. And then you started at Ormson when? Uh, 2016. Okay. Yeah. September of 2016. And at that point, like Dr. Ormson had been practicing here for how long? Uh, he, A long when, time. When he retired in 2021, he had been practicing for 43 years. Okay. Yes, very well established. Yeah, like that's a name. If if anybody yes is in that community, has gotten a hearing aid, like anything as like that, they've probably heard yes. uh, yeah. his name. I wonder what it's like to come in as as a young audiologist mm-hmm. um, to an established practice uh, with a, a, a veteran like him. Right. Is there a push and pull? Because technology has changed, training has mm-hmm. changed, the way that he was educated is very different from the way that you were educated. Like, how does how does that work just from a, a career standpoint? Yeah. So Dr. Ormson was, he was an amazing mentor. He was so great about, it wasn't just myself either. His son, Christian, mm-hmm. um, was also there. And then Dr. Cahill, who works for me now, was there as well. And they're, they're all younger too. So to have him there... For the experience, you know, I have this patience. This is, this is a difficult. We are not really sure how to do this. Oh, I've done that a million times. Yeah. All right. We always call it, he was MacGyver. He knew how to fix fix things that we never even dreamed of of doing. You know, in in our world today, that he would do 30, 40 years okay. ago. But he was an amazing mentor, and he was very great about just come in and treat patients, do it how you're comfortable with doing it just treat them like family. And he kind of let, let us all have free reign. And as long as we were doing right by the patient, that's all he cared about. And so I know, uh, as you mentioned that he retired and you were in a position to like make that transition from Ormson hearing, you know, Mm -hmm. which was a brand that had 40 years behind it into, you know, virtually the same practice, but under different leadership now. And a different name. And I wonder yes. like how you thought your way around that. What was the strategy there? So originally I, I was not in the position to take over the practice. Um, his son, Christian doctor, or he was also a doctor of audiology was supposed to take the, over the practice. And, um, I don't want to tell Christian's story. That's his story. But when it came down to it, he decided that he didn't necessarily want to practice in the field of audiology anymore. And so it was, you know, weeks before everything was supposed to happen. So it was kind of panic mode. And my husband and I thought, you know what, this is, this is an amazing opportunity. Dr. Ormson built such an incredible legacy. And so to have the opportunity to take over that legacy was, I mean, we weren't, we weren't going to pass that up. Originally, we were going to keep the name Ormson just because of, of it's, it's well known. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows Ormson Hearing. And then Christian decided that he was going to leave the field. 
And I didn't feel peace with keeping his name. Right. Um, if there's no longer an Ormson exactly. on the team. Exactly. He left on good terms. Mm-hmm. Dr. Ormson actually worked for us for another year before he officially retired. But I felt like as the years continue to go in 10 or 15 years from now, you know, Christian's kids might want to have their name back. I felt like I owed that to them to let them have their name back. Mm-hmm. And then I also wanted to have a name that represented Amarillo, um, our community. And so Amarillo Hearing Clinic, just it just made sense. Is there a challenge in not just taking over a practice, but taking over uh, the patient work when you have, you know, let's say, somebody in their 80s or 90s mm-hmm. who has been a patient of Dr. Ormson for 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and now there's this there's this young person and you have to establish your own expertise yes. and, with mm-hmm. them and the own trust with them. Like, yeah. how do you go through that process? You know, there we have had our challenges, but for the most part, all of his long-term patients, and when I say long-term, there's patients that he has been seeing for 30 or 40 years. He's a generational provider. Mm-hmm. You would see a kid starting at birth, and now they're adults bringing their their kids and now grandkids in. All of his patients were very supportive of his retirement. They all knew that he had worked a long time. 43 years is a long time to do earned anything. It. And they all understood that he earned it. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way that we did the transition really put his – his patients at ease um, and gave them peace about now becoming my patients or our patients. The fact that Dr. Cahill and I both worked there for him for years before, a lot of the patients knew us, knew who we were anyways. So I want to ask about your patients Mm -hmm. because I I know that it's more diverse probably than we realize that you're not just dealing with, uh, you might be dealing with toddlers who are Mm -hmm. deaf from birth. Yes. Uh, You might be dealing with, senior citizens who have only started to lose their hearing in the past few years. Mm-hmm. And so there's a real diversity of of clientele. It's not any one thing. I wonder if you could talk about that. Oh, yeah. I always tell our patients that we are not your typical hearing center. Um, we don't focus on hearing aid sales, if you will. Um, that's actually a dirty word in our office is, is sales opportunity. Okay. Um, because we work with birth to end of life. And so if we have a, you have a baby that fails their hearing screening in the hospital, they're seeing us. Um, we're the only provider in Amarillo that goes to the schools. So we see every single child that's in the school system, Amarillo or Canyon ISD, that has hearing aids. Um, there are patients. We're the only Medicaid provider clinic in Amarillo. Um, so we see that special population as well. And then we have our older senior population. Um, And what a lot of people think when they think about hearing loss, they think 80 and 90. Mm -hmm. But really, the average age of of onset of what would be considered amplifiable or aidable hearing loss is about 50 to 60. Okay. So um, our patient population varies um, dramatically. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me because I... We've had a conversation before where I grew up with, with my mom who taught... Deaf education. And mm-hmm. so I've been in and around the deaf community all of my life. Yes. And so I used to look at hearing aids as this is a deaf community thing, right. you know, as a kid. That's where I was first introduced to it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm almost 50 and I keep running into people and I'll, I'll just be talking to them. I'll be like, oh, 
he's wearing a hearing aid. Yes. Uh, and it's something that the technology has changed so much that it's smaller, it's far less obtrusive. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this is the age where you start to realize, okay, I stuff I used to hear is not quite the same as it used to be. And so I, I am seeing more people that are my age or a little bit older yeah. uh, moving into that field. And so it, like, I'm suddenly more aware of it. Yes. And I think that recently, maybe the last five years, we've, we've had the research since 2011, um, the significant research came out that correlated unaided hearing loss or he- people who wear, who have hearing loss that don't wear hearing aids and cognitive decline and the direct correlation to dementia and Alzheimer's. <laughs> That has recently become a very popular topic as far as healthy aging. And so we're seeing patients come in a lot earlier because of the risk factors of cognitive regression and dementia and Alzheimer's. When people 20 years ago would wait until they were 75 or 80 to get a hearing aid, now we know if we treat it in at mid-age, um, your chance of not being at high risk are much greater. And so I think that's why we see more people in their 50s and early 60s wearing hearing aids as well. It's not just about hearing at church anymore. It's about cognitive function. Tell me about the technology, because it used to be if you saw somebody wearing a hearing aid, it was this big plastic Mm -hmm. flesh colored thing on the top of yeah and it would yeah you get some (laughs) feedback and you know it it was very noticeable Mm -hmm. um tell me what it how it's changed in the past few years so i tell my patients all the time that this hearing aids today are not your grandma's hearing aids um they're small the manufacturers that make hearing aids now focus heavily on cosmetics because that's a big hindrance to Mm -hmm. a lot of patients they don't want to see the big piece of equipment behind the ear um, they're smaller, less visible. Almost every hearing aid out there now is Bluetooth compatible, mm-hmm. which is really big for, for the younger generation, that 50 and 60 age range. Um, connectivity to cell phones and things like that is, is a big deal. Built-in tinnitus maskers. Um, hearing aids now are automatic, so you're not pressing buttons all day long every time you go from a quiet room to a noisy room. The hearing aid is is digital and it's doing all of that by itself. So it's really just about putting it on and then going about your day now. And I wonder if receptivity to it uh, has anything to do with the the ubiquity of Apple's AirPods. You know, we, we, we started to get a technology where you can put that in your ear. Mm-hmm. You can silence all the outside noise. You know, you have so much control over that. Uh, and and I've even known that to be used by by people who uh-huh. have trouble hearing. Yeah, uh, is is that sort of is that making it maybe a little bit more accessible or making that that leap over the cliff into a hearing aid a little bit easier? Yes, I think so. I think that our we're now seeing a larger generation of people who grew up with having a bud in your ear, mm-hmm. so it's not that big of a deal anymore. Um, you know, when Bluetooth first came out, they were the huge. Yeah. you know, they came down to your little microphone. Yes, and. and and. You know, people didn't think that was a big deal. And so I do, you know, having a conversation about the -the over-the-counter buds is a totally different topic. But I do think that that has brought awareness Mm -hmm. and accessibility to to patients that, you know, traditional amplification, prescription-level amplification is not what we once perceived it to be. Right. And there is a difference, I assume, between those over-the-counter ones and the ones that you might have, um, you know, as as part of your practice, because mm-hmm. there is a level of technique, I guess, or or, or figuring yeah. out what what are the 
what are the signals and the sounds that they're not hearing exactly. and finding something that meets yeah. that? Yeah, the biggest, you know, a lot of people come into to the office and they'll say, well, I bet you hate those over-the-counters. And we, we don't hate them. We were actually excited when the FDA actually decided to put their stamp on those those devices. Over-the-counters have been out for years. It's just they weren't regulated, which was dangerous hmm. because we would have, you know, patients that ne- didn't necessarily just have age-related hearing loss. They maybe needed a surgical procedure that were just going to Walmart and getting something off the shelf. And so now those those devices are regulated. There's a lot of work to be done still, um, but it does provide accessibility what people don't realize, though, is that the over-the-counter devices are only intended for people with a mild to moderate hearing loss. Okay. And so most patients who need a hearing aid have more than a mild to moderate hearing loss. So that over-the-counter option is not really an option for the majority of the population. Okay. I know that um, one of the things that you're passionate about is the foundation that's associated yes. uh, with your clinic. And I wonder if you could tell me about that and yeah. why such a thing is necessary. Oh, I guess. absolutely. So when we first um, took over the practice, one of the first things that we realized that that needed to change was the amount of patients that were coming in seeking treatment for their hearing loss but couldn't afford it. Okay. Dr. Ormson was one is one of the most giving human beings I've ever met. And he approached that problem with we're just going to give them used hearing aids. Patients mm. that are upgrading, they're getting new hearing aids would often leave their hearing aids at the clinic and and he would put those on patients who couldn't afford them, which is amazing. But what we found was that these patients ended up spending money on these hearing aids because they were out of date. They were out of warranty. Mm. Repairs become quite expensive in a hearing aid that's five years or older. And and it's a hearing aid that's five years or older. So if you think about if you have, you know, your computer over here, if it's five or six years, it's gonna turn on, but it's gonna be really slow. Right. Right. It's, it's not, not nearly be, as efficient it's not as you processing want processing like it should. And so when we when we took over the practice, it originally the foundation was our five year goal. It wasn't an immediate goal. We're coming up on just three years of of having taken over the ownership. But over-the-counter came out in September of last year, the regulation. And what we saw was we were having our senior citizens living on a fixed income coming in with these over-the-counter devices that they weren't qualified to be wearing. Mr. B, he's kind of our, our, I guess, our marketing patient, if you would. We call him Mr. B, and he he came in in September last year, and he had some over-the-counter hearing aids that he didn't know how to work. They were whistling incredibly loud. He still couldn't hear anything, and he was just distraught. He was in tears because he just wanted to go to church. That's yeah, all he wanted. Yeah. He knew he couldn't afford a traditional pair of hearing aids, so he went to Walmart, and he bought himself some over-the-counters, and they were $600. And Mr. B lives on $800 a month. Yeah, wow. So um, he came to us to see if we could fix his hearing aids. And, and of course, we couldn't. We can't program over-the-counters. Um, we don't have any access to any type of software or anything. We did a hearing test and, and found that he had a profound hearing loss. So the over-the-counters weren't even kind of addressing his needs. And at $800 a month, what I could provide him wasn't an option for him. And so I went home that night and 
told my husband, we're, we're going to go ahead and launch the foundation mm-hmm. now. Um, we can't wait two years. There's, the marketing for the over-the-counter was directly targeting our seniors living yeah. on a fixed income. Is, and, is there an element of like Medicare or Medicaid that covers hearing loss? There absolutely is not. Not at all. There is not. Medicare will not pay a dime on any hearing device or hearing service related to a hearing aid. Even with the health-related outcomes yes. that have now been associated with it? Yes. Is yes. that... Is that something that is being discussed in your community? I mean, is there legislation or <laughs> we, lobbying we, or anything like that? You know, I think that we're we're be, we're a lot closer than we were five or ten years ago. Um, as audiologists, we do now have what's called direct access, which is new. And basically, what that means is that a patient isn't required to have a referral from their primary care provider. Mm-hmm to come and see a doctor of audiology, which is great because that was a big hindrance for a lot of patients having to make those two separate appointments. The downside to that is that Medicare won't pay for all of it. So the patient is still going to be paying for some of the appointment. But as far as will Medicare hop in and help cover some of those expenses, I don't see that happening primarily because of how large the baby boomer population is. It's, it's a ta- too many people. It's a tax that, on the system. Yeah. Yeah. Medicare actually used to pay for a, a little bit on hearing aids. They would pay $500 an ear, so $1,000 towards the cost of a hearing aid, which is a lot. And then probably about 2014, 15, they stopped. And they haven't. And I don't, I don't foresee them deciding to do that. But a lot of Advantage plans, Medicare Advantage plans, will come in and offer some type of a discount. Mm -hmm. So it's still a significant investment for a lot of our seniors. And most of our seniors that have those Advantage plans are still paying about $2,000 out of pocket. And that's a lot for somebody living on $800 a month. And so that's that's what the foundation is for. We, We specifically focus on our senior citizens living in the Texas panhandle that are on a reduced or a fixed income. Our goal is to get hearing aids on patients so that we are improving quality of life. The correlation between depression, anxiety, dementia, fall risk, um, hospitalization risk is significantly higher in patients who have hearing loss that don't wear hearing aids. How do you fund that foundation? Like, is it something that that operates within your clinic or are you doing like outside fundraisers and things like that? We have been so incredibly blessed by the community of Amarillo. Um, That's one of the best things about where we live is we have, I'm sure you've been told this a hundred times by people you interview, we have the most giving community. Um, Right now, we are very fortunate to be funded partially by the Area Agency on Aging. Mm -hmm. Um, they will help pay for uh, hearing aids for patients that qualify through their program. Um, we were just awarded a grant from the Bivens Foundation as well, so we're in, we're so grateful for that. And then we're you know relying on donations and and fundraisers. The clinic does donate um, time and hours. My providers donate hours. We donate free clinic time um, to anybody that would qualify through the foundation as well. I wanted to ask you another question um, related to uh, AirPods and earbuds Mm -hmm. and and all the listening devices that people who don't necessarily need hearing aids yet are using. 
as an audiologist, do you do you see how how common that has become, and does it worry you? Because we're probably putting things in our ears that are music's too loud. Yeah, um, I think that there's a good and a bad. Um, when you know, AirPods are great for noise canceling. There, I mean, they're amazing. There's no hearing aid in the world that's going to cancel noise like an AirPod does. Hmm. Primarily because we're treating hearing loss in people with normal hearing, hear background noise. So we're trying to teach the brain how to function in noise. But so AirPods are great. I think that things like AirPods and over-the-counter amplifiers are, I like to to compare them to reading glasses. So it's generally going to be the first step that a patient's going to take. I'm noticing that I'm struggling in these certain situations so I'm going to go try this option first, mm-hmm. and then we'll, I think I probably need to go see a doctor okay. at that point. So um, the dangerous side of AirPods, though, is that people put them in and they turn them up so loud. Yeah. I see so many videos on Facebook and things like that of people mowing the lawn with their AirPods in. That is not protecting your hearing. You're just making the music louder than something that's already potentially damaging so that is what we worry about is um the younger generation we i do see more teenagers coming into the clinic with what's called a noise notch which is a a noise induced hearing loss that has a specific type of configuration Hmm. i i see that on a on a regular basis and so we spend a lot of time in our pediatric clinic counseling kids and parents on if it's so loud that you can't have a normal conversation like you and I are having right now, it's too loud. The last thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, you initially wanted to get out of this area. Mm-hmm. You ended up coming back yes. and not just coming back to practice, but also, you know, at, at this point owning a practice. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you're invested in this community. Yes. Uh, you also have the foundation side where you're involved with the generous side of the community. I wonder if you could just talk about what you've learned about Amarillo as someone who didn't grow up here but came here as an adult, professional adult. What have you learned about where we live? As far as? Everything. Anything. Everything. Yeah. I mean, at operating a business, working with people, um, serving a, a particular community. I mean, mm-hmm. w- tell me about the character of the place. Yeah, I think that you hear a lot of the phrase, the spirit of Amarillo, and that it's it's a real thing, um, the spirit of Amarillo and the spirit of the people in Amarillo. I don't know that I would pick up my business and take it somewhere else. I don't think that we would see the success that we see on the private practice side or the foundation side. Primarily because the people in our area, they want to work with people who have roots here. Mm -hmm. I think that people appreciate that about our clinic is that they know that I grew up here. They know that my family is still here. And the generosity, you know, I'll have patients that come in and dropping a couple thousand dollars on a brand new set of hearing aids is not a big deal for them. And then they'll turn around and donate to the foundation so that the patient behind them can have a brand new set of hearing aids as well. And you're not going to get that in in big cities often. Mm -hmm. We see it daily. Okay. And that's so special. I think that I don't think that that would be possible somewhere else. Hey Amarillo is supported this week by the Texas Route 66 Festival, a 10-day event starting June 1st here in Amarillo. And it leads up to the centennial of historic Route 66 in 2026. 
This year's festival features the Coors Cowboy Club Cattle Drive and Parade on Saturday, June 3rd. And that is always one of the most Amarillo events of the year. This year's cattle drive will include 60 Texas Longhorn cattle and classic cars driving down Polk Street uh, along the parade route to the Tri-State Fairgrounds. So mark your calendars now. This is such a fun event uh, for the Coors Ranch Rodeo Cattle Drive on June 3rd and the Texas Route 66 Festival. It starts in just a few weeks. Go to visitamarillo.com for details. Okay, I'm back with Megan Laughlin. Uh, Megan, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its latest exhibit is called A Noble Partner, about the unique and longstanding relationship between humans and horses on the Panhandle Plains, from work to companionship. And it's different from any other domesticated animal. It's a really fascinating exhibit. You can see it now at the museum. Learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay, when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? Industry growth. Okay. Absolutely. Industry, your industry or all industries? All industry. All right. I'm I'm very excited about the industries that are, that are moving in right now. We know that, you know, Bell has has recently gotten a huge contract. Mm-hmm. Pantex is growing. We've got Amazon here and I I think that Amarillo can be comparable to Lubbock. Um Lubbock's industry has has really skyrocketed over the last 10 years, and I, I see Amarillo going there. Okay. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of? <laughs> okay. You know, traffic, which is, I know, crazy to say. My husband from Dallas would be like, I can't believe you're yeah. complaining about the traffic, but it's just the fact that it takes 45 minutes to get from one side of town to the other drives me insane. <laughs> so We, uh... We have so many people who love the traffic situation here because it's in comparison to Dallas. Oh, yeah. And then when something knocks that out of whack, like, everybody gets really frustrated. Everybody gets so, you know, we have a little construction, and it's just like the world is ending. Yeah. But, yeah, my husband is, is he's like, there's never anybody on the road. And I'm like, it's always so packed trying to get down Sansi on a Friday night. It's yeah. like, it's awful. I understand that. <laughs> uh, what does this area not have enough of? Outdoor activities. Um, I would love to see some outdoor. I I know that um, X Bar has a big project. Is that is it X Bar? Uh, the Crossbar. Crossbar recreation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm really X Bar is a nice restaurant. It is a in nice restaurant. Town yes. <laughs> uh, Crossbar. I think that that that's some that's a project that I really hope to see come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Being in Tennessee, when we were in Tennessee, we were in the Appalachian. So we hiked and kayaked, and we just had beautiful outdoor activity all the time. And I would love to see more of that here in Amarillo, just things to get out of the house okay. and do. What's the most underrated thing about living in Amarillo? I personally think Amarillo is beautiful. Um, I know that everybody says it's dirty and yellow and brown, but I think that if you have the ability to just watch the sunrise and watch the sunset. There's nowhere else that is going to have that kind of beauty. I think that our atmosphere, our environment is incredibly underrated. Nobody wants to give Amarillo a chance because it's dirty. And it is. But man, a sunrise after a dirt storm, it's beautiful. Like you just don't get that anywhere else. I mean, there's a reason... 
famous artists like Georgia O'Keeffe were drawn to Amarillo and did, you know, some of their best work in Amarillo yeah. was because of that beauty. And it's a stark beauty and you had to find a way to see it. You have to learn how to appreciate it. Yeah. You know, to go out and lay on the trampoline at, at 11 o'clock at night, you're not going to see stars like that anywhere. Right. And that I think that that's underrated. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop? So I am not a big coffee shopper. I drink coffee, but I don't go to, I just like my Keurig. Yeah. But I do like to go to Palace Coffee. They're new. Well, it's not really that new anymore. They're new and out on Georgia. But small business, I'm always going to support 100%. So. Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck? My favorite restaurant is El Tejavon. Right. It is. They have the best hot sauce. So good. That's true. Do you typically go to the one by Tascosa or yes. the one further down? I go to the one off. Right, right. Well, that's real close to our office. Okay. The one right okay. off Tascosa. So, yep. Uh, what's your favorite local neighborhood? Well, we live in Bushland and we live in Bushland because we love the the neighborhood of Bushland. There's not much to protect you out there from the uh, <laughs> from the dust and the wind. We get a little bit more wind if it's if it's blowing 20 miles an hour in Amarillo, it's blowing 30 out in Bushland. Um, we also we ride our four wheelers and we you know we know our neighbors and we know our community and it's it's growing so fast but it still feels really small town. Does Bushland have? A small town identity of its own, or do people there think of themselves as this is just kind of a an outside neighborhood of Amarillo? Absolutely not. Okay. No, where you're from, Bushland. All right. You, yes. Yeah. All right. Last question. When was the last time you visited the Big Texan? <laughs> oh, probably 10 years ago. Okay. Yeah. I don't go out there very often. I, I couldn't tell you why. I just never get out that well, way. Well, it's, it's but, not designed for you. You, you know, know, we do recommend it for any of our friends coming through. We tell them you got to stop and try it, um, you know, but it's probably been about 10 years since I've been out there. Okay. Yep. That concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about or to experience? Not to be self-promoting, but I obviously want to endorse our foundation. Um, we're so new and uh, we are working so hard on raising funds to get amplification on our senior citizens. And um, with the funding that we have had so far this year, we anticipate that we'll probably exhaust that by June or July. Okay. And there, there are a lot of seniors in our region that need help, not only just to hear better at church, um, but the cognitive impact. You know, we worry so much about our seniors sitting at home in silence. Yeah. That's just significantly going to increase depression, anxiety, and risk of dementia. And so we we want to work really hard at, at getting funding. So if you find it in your heart to give get with the foundation and support or sponsor a senior citizen with amplification, that's what we want to promote here. And that can be done through your website. Yes, sir. Right. Yep. AmarilloHearing.com. Okay. Yep. Megan Laughlin, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank I you. appreciate it. You made that easy. <laughs> That's my job. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Megan for the interview. You can find out more about the Amarillo Hearing Foundation at amarillohearing.com. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and to sponsors Shem and Dental, the Texas Route 66 Festival, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting the show. Last weekend, I recorded the 300th episode of this podcast in front of a live audience at Arts in the Sunset. It was so much fun. 
and that episode releases next week if you weren't there. So watch for it in your feed. In fact, if you haven't subscribed to Hey Amarillo in the podcast app of your choice, go ahead and do that. And then, you know, that show will just land on your phone or however that works. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash Hey Amarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Cindy Graham, and Barbara and Jim Witt. This has been episode 299. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>